Now, I know as a church you've been going through the book of Matthew, I'm hoping that's right, the Gospel of Matthew together, and I was kind of asked if I would just pick up and go with it, um, so that's what I'm going to do this morning. Gav sent me over, you can speak anywhere from here, and it was kind of the longest <laughs> piece of scripture ever, so the whole of Matthew chapter 10 plus a little bit of 9, and I thought, right, okay, I'm going to have to pray and just see where I feel God's leading me this morning for you guys as a church, and I think think I've heard from God, so we'll see, won't we? So, um, so if, you, if you've got your Bibles with you, if you can open those to Matthew chapter 10, Matthew chapter 10, and we're going to read from that in just a, in just a moment, um, but um, I'm going to pray real quick. I think there's some slides that are going to come up, um, so, but don't worry. Matthew chapter 10, if you have your Bibles or your smart gadgets, and let me pray real quick, and then we're going to jump in. Uh, Father, I just thank you so much for your word Lord, I thank you that it has power to change our lives. And Lord, I pray this morning that we would have an encounter with you that would change us, Lord. Uh, we believe, Father, that when you, we read the Word of God and we encounter your Holy Spirit, Lord, there can be a power that comes that changes everything. And Lord, this morning I pray that we would have open hearts to receive from you. We'd have open hearts to, um, for you to come and change us, to mold us. And Lord, if there are things that, that have grown that, we, that you don't want there, Lord, to take those away. But Jesus, we want to submit afresh to you this morning. We want to thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name, everybody said? Amen. Okay, so we're going to read Matthew 10, uh, 32 to 42. Um, it says this, it says, Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household." Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Anyone who welcomes you welcomes me, and anyone who welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. Whoever welcomes a prophet as a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. Whoever welcomes a righteous person as a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of the, these little ones who is my disciple, truly I tell you, that person will certainly not lose their reward. Okay. Yeah, I went for the good part of <laughs> chapter 10. Um, so a bit of context, what's happening here is in chapter 10, Jesus is readying his disciples to send them out uh, to go and to preach and into all these different towns. And they're going out for the first time on their own. It's a pretty scary thing for them. And Jesus is kind of laying down some teaching, and they're going to go and they're going to heal. They're going to uh, cast out demons in Jesus' name. It's going to be fantastic for them. But Jesus is prepping them first. And some of the lessons that he gives to the disciples are just for you this morning as well, okay? They're for you. So it's really important that you hear that. Um, but I don't know, I'm just thinking this week as I was leading up to this really is about how the world's changed dramatically over the last 60, 70 years. Like even in this country, some of you will remember, I'm not that old, but some of you will remember how much the world has changed and seen quite a transition. And what I'm talking about here is that as a country, we've changed from 
what, and what, what was once not acceptable in our culture and society has now become the norm. And we, we used to be a country that believed, had a core belief that we should be a people who fear God and believe in community. That's the kind of country that we were. And, and in its place, especially over, I would say, the last decade and this new generation coming through, there's nothing wrong with you, by the way, don't worry, you've just been dealt a bad hand. But with the rise of social media in this new generation, the, the change is focused from being community-focused and God-focused to me-focused. Everything has changed. And actually, it's become more about how we focus on ourselves and being, fo- and being dependent upon ourselves. And that's been a trend, not just in the UK, by the way, but all across the, the developed world, where social media has exemplified that and made that worse. Uh, Psychology Today magazine released a study in 2017, and it highlighted the growing concern that, w- that came with social media and other things and the way culture and society was changing that we live in. It said this, it said, social media, why it connects us to others, may actually lead to a greater self-centeredness. As people who strive to make their presence known, their presence known, much of social media is all about me. Overly doting helicopter parents, you know the ones who take 20 pictures of the kids a day and put them on Facebook, may also be creating a greater narcissism in children. Finally, society with its emphasis on celebrity, appearance, and narcissistic role models and leaders may be playing part in the rise of self-centeredness. We live in a culture and a society where being self-centered is completely okay and celebrated. It's about who you want to be, about you defining your own identity. You remember the Lego thing, the only... The only limit is your imagination. That's kind of where we're at now. <laughs> like Whoever you want to be, you choose, you decide. It's all about you, you being happy. Don't worry about anybody else or what they think. It's all about you. <laughs> and the problem with that, that, that mindset, the problem with, with what we're dealing with there is when we read things like Matthew chapter 10. Because we come up against teaching that is actually completely countercultural. <laughs> It's like two tidal waves that smash in the middle and we've got to decide which side we're going to land. So when we approach something like Jesus' words here, they actually sound, I don't know about you, but I read them and I feel like, oh, Jesus, you're being a bit harsh. I'm not sure about this. Like, if I disown you, you're going to disown me. Well, that's not fair. You're God. I'm not, right? Like, and I don't know about you, but I get a bit touchy about that stuff. <laughs> um, but I promise you, it's not scary. It's not harsh and we're going to kind of open this up together so the good news is is I've got three helpful preacher points for you in this sermon that you can take away you know you love the three-point sermons and um, and we're going to kind of just open this up together and talk about what Jesus was saying then to his disciples but what he's saying to you right here right now this morning Um, okay so point number one Jesus is very clear that his disciples acknowledge him to the world. As his disciples, we are called to acknowledge him to the world. In verse 33, he says, whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. Isn't that a wonderful promise? A necessary part of you being a disciple of Jesus is being willing to acknowledge him publicly. Publicly. Romans 1, 16 to 17 says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, Because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. Romans 10 verse 9 says, If you declare with your mouth, 
Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. We are called to be a people who aren't ashamed of declaring who Jesus is to everybody around us. And declaring it with our lips is, is one of the most obvious ways to do that, isn't it? And now, I want to be clear before I get into this next section. We, I, I believe that we're on the same track because this isn't my church. <laughs> but we believe when we read the Bible that, that, that salvation through Jesus is through faith alone. All I have to do is declare it with my lips. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to work to gain salvation. We believe that. But there's this flip side that comes with it because the, the word that Jesus uses here, uh, how it's written in the Greek, actually it gives us an indication that words aren't enough <laughs> um, to acknowledge Jesus. It needs to be so much more. It needs to be your actions too, how you behave, how you respond, how you react. They're all tied up with acknowledging who Jesus is. Um, James, uh, if you read the letter of James, he wrote it to the early church, specifically to the Jews really, but in James chapter 2 verse 19 he says, you believe that, that there is one God. Good, that's brilliant. I'm really glad that you can declare that there is one God and Jesus is God. That's brilliant. He says, but even the demons believe that and they shudder, right? Like they can even declare who Jesus is. You foolish person. It's always nice, isn't it? Good pick me up. Do you not want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? And although, like I said, we believe that finding salvation is through just faith alone, we know that there is this call for each and every one of us, every single one of us, to act out that salvation, to live out who, who we are and our new identity in Christ. We have to live that out. And we acknowledge who we are and what we believe about Jesus through the way that we behave, the way that we speak. We don't swear. I don't know if you know that. But because I want to acknowledge Jesus, I give because I want to acknowledge Jesus. I care because I want to acknowledge Jesus. All of our actions, they actually speak of what we believe and who we are in Jesus. Is that right? And, and Jesus is saying here, hey, acknowledging me is more than just nodding along. Like, do you believe Jesus is king? Yeah, yeah, he probably is, yeah. No, it's a bit more than that. It's actually a whole new life living in him. I love the shout, by the way. Thank you for that. One person is with me. It's been a people who are fully identified with Jesus in our words and our actions. But then what Jesus does, and this is the kind of scary bit, is he flips this thing upside down, doesn't he? And he says, whoever doesn't acknowledge me, <laughs> I won't acknowledge you before the, my Father in heaven. And that's the bit that makes me go, hold on a minute, Jesus, you're supposed to be, you know, really caring. and <laughs> like, um, You know I make mistakes. And the, the best thing is, is that this word that he uses here for, for denying knowing somebody, this word that he uses in the Greek, is actually only used elsewhere once in Scripture. Only once more, sorry, not in Scripture, in the Gospels. So in the story of Jesus being on earth, it's only used once more. Now, a huge brownie point, if anybody can tell me where it might be used that someone denies knowing somebody. Yes. Peter. Yes, well done. Brownie points for you. You get a free cup of tea afterwards, all right. Um, but yeah, Peter, we all know Peter, don't we? The story of Peter, the keen, the eager one, who would pull out his sword at any moment and tell Jesus, these lot are rubbish, Jesus, all these other disciples, but I'm the best. Don't worry, I'll never leave you. And then this humility comes, because Peter denies knowing Jesus, not once, not twice, 
But three times he denies knowing Jesus. Now, if you take these words here that Jesus uses literally and don't read them within context of the whole of the narrative, what does that mean for Peter? If what Jesus says, it means Jesus will deny him, deny knowing him before the Father. But we know that doesn't happen, does it? So Jesus isn't a liar. He only speaks the truth. <laughs> but Peter wasn't denied before God. So what's happening here? Well, <laughs> there's a couple of things to point out. One, the Jesus you follow is full of mercy, grace, love, and forgiveness. And he knows that you don't do a great job all the time. He understands, Peter. He understands you. He understands there'll be times in your life where you don't acknowledge him through your words or through your deeds. But there is great, you know, we've just been saying it, grace and mercy, it finds me. And I need it to find me. I need you, Lord. And Peter, we know that Jesus gives him a chance to to respond by saying, Jesus, I love you. Not once, not twice, but three times. And Jesus restores him. There's grace and forgiveness for the times that we mess up. But what Jesus is doing here is he's given a warning to those people who continue throughout their life to fail to acknowledge who Jesus is. And we know what happens when we die that there is something that happens if we have chosen throughout our lives time and time and time again and never ever come into a place of repentance like Peter did or never come into a place of acknowledging who Jesus is, then he's very clear. I won't acknowledge you in front of my father because I, I never knew you <laughs> away from me. And that's really hard, isn't it? But that's why we need to acknowledge before others who Jesus is. We need to be a people who acknowledge before others through the words and our deeds and man, like there are people who are just gifted in doing that, isn't they? Um, there are, and there are people like Billy Graham, who uh, I, I don't know if people know who Billy Graham is. Lots of people, I'm sure, will. But you know, and he did these crusades around the world. And man, was he gifted at sharing the gospel with people? Have you ever met somebody like, like that who's just like got the gift of evangelism? It's not me, by the way. I'm terrible at it. And I pray, Lord, make me better at that. But have you ever met those people who are just amazing at sharing the gospel with people, acknowledging who Jesus is to them, and then they respond? Billy Graham, on one of his crusades, 1992, he was in Moscow, and get this, he had 155, not people, 155,000 people in the crowd, 155,000 people. And he was telling them about Jesus, acknowledging who he was, telling them about every, everything that Jesus had done. And over a quarter of people at the end of that talk came and responded to the gospel message. Like, gifted or what? Now, here's the thing. You're not all called to be super Christians, right? Um, you all have different giftings. And the truth is, is that God just wants you to start with the people that he puts in your life, puts on your heart, you don't, and, and dependent on who you are and your skill set, you can acknowledge to them who Jesus is by the way that you treat them, speak to them, forgive them, show them grace, give them a ride, give them food, cook for them, welcome into your family. All you're doing there is acknowledging who Jesus is in your life. You're being a witness for him. Amen? Okay, that's number one. The second two aren't as long, I promise. Number two, as followers of Jesus, we have to be comfortable 
although it's quite uncomfortable to talk about this, with rejection, even from our own families. Now, this one, for me, when we read it, and like I said, this piece of Scripture when we read it, it almost sounds counter who we know Jesus is uh, when we read it out of context. Um, so we know Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Yeah, the Prince of Peace. He is the Prince of Peace. And yet here, he says, I didn't come to bring peace. I came with a sword. It's like, oh, Jesus, I'm not sure about that. That's a little bit scary. Um, but hear me out here. Because there's this kind of weird bit in the middle where he quotes. He actually quotes from Micah 7, uh, verse 6. And he says, you know, there's going, to be, there's going to be people in the family who are enemies. There's going to be mothers that fall out with, uh, with, their, with their daughters. There's going to be mother-in-laws who fall out with their daughter-in-laws. That's not uncommon, is it? But, they, you know, there's going to be all these, all these fights between families and rejection and all sorts of things that you're going to have to deal with. And is Jesus saying that that's okay? Is he saying that, you know, go looking for a punch-up at Christmas? No, he's not saying that. Let me just be clear. Jesus is not saying that. In Romans 12, 18, it tells us, If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everybody. So is this what Jesus is saying? <laughs> no, he's not saying that you should be looking for fights or for, for those things to happen. What he is saying, rather, is, is that there are issues that you are going to find as a follower of Jesus. What you're going to find is when you choose to follow him, so he's trying to teach his disciples, remember, get them ready. He's, trying, he's going to send them out. And what he can't do is he can't sugarcoat what's going to happen. And he's saying, hey, there are going to be people that are not okay with church. Have you ever found that? you ever had a chat with someone who's not okay with church? Who are hurt by church or rejected by church or just don't like the whole thought, the concept, the institution of it. There's going to be people that don't like Jesus. There's going to be people that don't like God. There's going to be people that don't like you because you're a follower of Jesus. And he's saying, hey, it, you know, that, just expect that. There's going to be people that think you're an idiot. And you know what? When I became a believer, I, be, I came from a non-believing background. My family weren't believers. I knew my mum thought I was an idiot for following Jesus. Do you know how I knew she thought I was an idiot? Because she told me. <laughs> she said, you're an idiot. I went, yeah, I know, but I love Jesus. <laughs> Charles Swindle, he's a theologian, really good writer. He, put, he wrote this. He said, I have witnessed with my own eyes the family of a committed believer being downright hostile. You're dead to us, they said. I've heard of parents disowning children, breaking off all contact with them, or constantly making malicious, ugly comments about their faith. And in some parts of the world... Conversion to Christianity is tantamount to treason against one's own country and considered the worst kind of betrayal of one's people. In those cases, physical harm or even death might be the result. Jesus, he can't be dishonest with you. There's going to be division because of him. And that's just what to expect. And, and people will be downright hurtful disrespectful, <laughs> and just horrible with you for what you've chosen. They, you might lose friends and family. Some of you might even lose or have lost your parents, your relationship with them. There are people in this very room who have had to make some difficult decisions in order to follow Jesus. You, 
you might have had decisions to make about who you're not going to associate with anymore because you want to follow Jesus. You want to be in relationship with him. You want to be a witness for him. There might even be people in here who've had to flee from their homes or from their families or lost their jobs because you've chosen Jesus. But Jesus needed to know this is the cost of following me. This is the cost. And number three, final, final point, is as disciples, Jesus tells us we have to be prepared to pick up your cross, to take up your cross, he says. Like I said at the beginning, and we kind of talked about at the beginning, we, the world tells us that everything in our life is about being concerned with yourself. Whereas Jesus teaches the absolute opposite. The world tells you to be concerned about yourself, your own life, your own interests, your identities, your own families, your own peace. Find your own peace, your own security, your own possessions. The world wants you to feed the unsatisfiable beast of selfishness, self-centeredness, and, and everything to do with yourself. Charity starts at home. Have you ever heard that? Charity starts at home. Look after yourself. I had to do what was right for me. But the call of a believer is to put Jesus and Jesus alone on the throne of your life. There's no room for yourself to put Him center stage, center of your life, on the throne. And in doing that, what Jesus then does to us when he rules and reigns as the king on the throne of our lives, when we give him his crown and stop holding on to it, is he points us out towards other people, not to ourselves. What's the greatest commandment? To love God and to love others. Notice yourself is missing in that. <laughs> it wasn't to love yourself. To love God and to love others. Actually, Jesus says the way that you will know that they are my disciples is by their love for one another. Not for themselves, for one another. We're called to be a people devoted to loving God and loving others. And what does Jesus use to illustrate this point to you and to me? A device of torture. He's brilliant, isn't he, at pet marks? A device of torture. A cross. A cross. Uh, Billy Graham he says in his book, The Offense of the Cross, he says, when Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, you have to take up your cross, it was the same as saying, come and bring your electric chair with you. Take up your gas chamber and follow me. He did not have a beautiful cross in mind, the cross on a church steeple or the one on the front of your Bible. Jesus had in mind the place of your execution. That's lovely, isn't it? And you know what, when I was preparing, I almost left that bit out because I thought, oh, it's a bit heavy, bit heavy there, Billy, because he's talking about gas chambers. And I don't know if anything like me, I've, I've been, to, um, been to a concentration camp in Germany and the gas chamber is just the most savage and horrible thing to think about, isn't it? It brings up all these connotations in our, in, in our thoughts and brings up all these kind of nuances that we know about, about what happened in World War II, the gas chambers and how the Nazis used them. And we have that sort of thought, don't we? Of like, oh, I don't like the thought of picking up my gas chamber and following you, Jesus. It has so many nuances to it. 
And actually, crucifixion, it was similar to that of the people he was talking to. Jesus was probably two years away at this point from being crucified. But the, the, the disciples at the time would have had absolutely no doubt in what he was talking about. Crucifixion was a common sight to them. It was the most humiliating, most painful experience they could think of. It had all of these connotations attached to it. And, and yet Jesus, is, this is the thing that he chooses to explain of what it is to follow him. And what Jesus is saying is, look, pick up your cross, <laughs> follow me, and all of your wants, all of your needs, all of your self-centeredness, all of your desires, all of that you fantasize about, your dream job, your dream car, your dream house, your, your cushy little life, take all of that and crucify it on the cross and follow me. Oh, <laughs> like that to me sounds like, man, Jesus, I need help with that. But he's saying that's what it takes. If you're willing to follow me, that's what I'm asking you to do. Now, I want to be really clear here. This is not a call to gloom and misery. Jesus isn't asking you to come and live a life where you get no satisfaction from it. In fact, he's saying the opposite is true. This is a call for you and for me into discipleship. That's what he's calling you to this morning. Not doom and gloom and like God wants to give you the desires of your heart, trust me. But it is a call to discipleship to the best for you. Not, not the worst, the best for you. So we're called to be a people who acknowledge him through our words, through our deeds, to everybody around us. And we might not be super Christians, but we can acknowledge it to our friends, to our families, to our co-workers, to people that God puts in your life and on your heart. We're called to be a people that understand that we, we might not be popular. We might receive rejection from people because of choosing to follow him. And we want to be a people who daily take up our cross and understand that I have to put everything that I want to one side because Jesus is calling me to follow him. Not to focus on myself, to get caught up in the culture of self-centeredness, but to put all that to a side and to follow him. We're called into discipleship. Every single one of us. He's never finished with you. He's got the best for you. For some people choosing to follow Jesus, and I'm sure some of you in here could give me testimonies of what it's cost you to follow him. Some of you may have lost your closest friends. Maybe your family's alienated you. Maybe you've lost your standing in life, your reputation. Maybe you've lost your job. Now, following Jesus, it's not a promise that those things will happen, by the way. And by the grace of God, they won't happen to you. But are you willing to take up your cross and say, yeah, Jesus, whatever the cost, whatever my life looks like here, I want to follow you. I want to follow you. I was talking to a friend this week, just kind of bouncing off her... Um, what I was talking about and kind of just wrestling through it. I'm an external processor, so sometimes it does me good to kind of talk it out loud. And she sh shared with me and she said, you know what, like, the truth is, she said, in my life, she said, I actually thought that would be quite hard. But she said, the moment I put Jesus at number one and kind of understood that all those things didn't matter to me anymore, I kind of put them on the cross. Actually, those things got better, <laughs> My relationships with people got better, not worse. 
My job got better. My lifestyle got better. Everything got better because of Jesus being on the throne, him being the one that I was following. And when I pursue those other things, actually, I'm unhealthy. Things don't go well for me. But when Jesus is the one that I'm pursuing, everything else gets better. It's enriched by him, not lost. And I want to encourage you with that this morning. I'm going to finish by just sharing with you really a picture. I want to invite Andy to come up and just, we're just going to kind of go into a place of response, really. How do we, how do we respond to this as a church? How do we respond to this as individuals, as disciples? But I want to finish by just acknowledging, really, what Jesus is asking us to do. It's not easy. Jesus never promised us it would be easy to follow him. But he does promise us that it's worth it. It's worth it. It is so worth it. And um, I want you to picture for me, the River Tees is just close by. Huge, powerful river, isn't it? And I want you to picture for me that it's like following Jesus is like going down to the River Tees and getting in, forget the cold, don't worry about it, it's just an illustration, getting into and swimming to the middle and then Jesus almost says, okay, I want you to swim upstream. I want you to swim up against the current. And life with Jesus is almost like that. It's like swimming against the current. It's not easy. And it's only by his strength, his power, his grace, his spirit that we're able to move that way. But it's so difficult to swim against it. And you think about the culture and the society that we live in. You go to church. Why on earth do you go to church on a Sunday? You believe in Jesus. All right, okay, yeah, you believe in Jesus. Well done for you, you know. But actually, swimming against the current is what it's like. And I just had a picture for you this morning that actually, that some of you, if you're anything like me, just staying still in the river is almost hard enough. Just to stay still, to keep with Jesus is almost hard, hard enough. But to swim against the current, man alive, it's like pushing through, reading the Word of God, bringing things in prayer, you know, pushing on in Jesus, being out loud, allowing Jesus to push you outside of your comfort zone, helping out at church, being there with people in the most needy time, being a follower of Jesus, caring for the needy, praying for the broken, giving to the, those who have nothing. We're called to swim against the current of this culture, of the society that we live in, and actually not think about ourselves, but think about others, to love God and to love others. And I just felt God say that there are people who have just stopped and are just treading water this morning. And maybe the pandemic's kind of taking you into a, just a, a sleepy, apathetic coma of just, yeah, I'll just, I go to church, but this is kind of just okay for me. I'll just stay here. It's more comfortable. But for some of you, you've allowed the current to take you. And it's almost just been easy just to say, oh, I just don't have it in me anymore. And the current's just taking you down the river. (laughs) And you're just saying, yeah, well, you know, so what? 
And I just feel Jesus this morning wants to call you back to discipleship. Not just acknowledging him with a nod. Yeah, Jesus is good. Yeah. But actually being, a, being someone who is committed to acknowledging him in everything. Understanding that that might cost you in this life. But being willing to take up your cross again this morning. And say, Jesus, I want to crucify everything that is keeping me from pushing on in you. And where I've allowed other things to become center stage, where I've allowed other things to sit on the throne, and whether that's my own selfishness, or whether it's the boyfriend that I always wanted to have and now I have him, whether it's the, the relationship that I know isn't right for me, but I'm, I just want it still. Whatever it is that you've allowed to sit on the throne, I just feel Jesus is saying, take it off the throne and allow me to sit back there. And if it's yourself, if it's what you want, then take the crown off your head. It doesn't belong to you. And give it back to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So I'm going to finish by just asking you all to stand. And I just want to address something real quick before we pray. And that is, is that For some of you hearing this this morning, I think this is really important. For some of you hearing this this morning, you've you've come in this morning and you've thought, you know what, my life is just hard enough as it is. And now you're asking me to swim upstream. You're asking me to carry this cross. Let me tell you, Jesus says, "My, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. And when actually you put Jesus in the center of your life, everything becomes easier, not harder. He carries the weight for you. And there's, if there's things that you've come in carrying this morning, actually just give them to Jesus. Paul, in Romans 8, 18, he says, I consider that our present sufferings, they're not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. The things that you go through in this life, they're not worth comparing to what Jesus has for you. He promises you. He promises you reward for doing these things. He promises you reward for acknowledging who He is. He promises you reward for the fact that there are troubles in this life. People will reject you now, but there is reward for you that comes from Him. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, the one who has ascended and sits at the right hand of the Father. There is reward for you for crucifying everything in your life that is selfish, desire, needs, wants, fantasies, and actually saying, Jesus, I want to put you first I want, to, I want to worship you. I want to bow down to you. Lord, help me for where I've got it wrong. Thank you for the promise of Peter that where I fail, Lord, there is forgiveness and grace and love and mercy and kindness overflowing, abounding from you. But Lord, where I've become apathetic, where I've become uh, passive, Lord, where I've just stood stagnant, treading water, Lord, would I say, no, I want to push on towards you. I want to run this race. I don't want to walk it. I don't want to watch others run it. Lord, I understand that you've gifted me and you are calling me into a life with you and it's a life to the full. So Lord Jesus, we respond to you this morning. We, Lord, we thank you that you are the God of love. All power and all authority has been given to you. And Lord, you are calling me, you are calling my brothers and sisters here this morning as sons and daughters of the King Most High. And you're saying, I see you 
I know you. I know the pain that's on your heart. I cry with you. I know what you've sacrificed for me and that you will continue to sacrifice for me. But I am with you and I promise you it is worth it. I have the best for you, child. I love you. I am with you. I go before you. I am behind you. And I will bless you and I will reward you. But come back to me. Come and follow me. Swim against that stream because through the power of my spirit, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to enrich you, I'm going to empower you, and I'm going to encourage you. You swim against that stream. Forget what the world teaches you. Forget where the world wants to take you because I'm taking you forwards. So Lord, I pray against the spirit of apathy. Lord, will we be active and ready? Lord, we know we only have one life. <laughs> And it doesn't last that long. It goes by before we know it. But Lord, we say that we want to see people come to know you as their Lord and Saviour. We know out there there is a hurting and broken world. And Father, we want to see them come to know you. We want to meet the need. And Lord, that doesn't happen when your church is just sat still or floating backwards. Lord, we say yes to you this morning. We say yes to taking up our cross again. And Lord, we know there's, there can be hurt and pain in that, but we know you are the one who is sufficient. You are the one who carries us forward. Oh Lord, how wonderful you are. How amazing you are. We declare your goodness. And Lord, we say yes to you. Yes to moving forward. In Jesus' mighty name, everybody said, Amen. Amen. Why don't we just worship Him as the King of kings of who He is. And just as we worship, I just want to encourage you, just, Lord, just come and fill me with your power. Fill me with your spirit, Lord. Let your spirit move across this room. And Lord, as we worship you, would we declare our love for you and our promise to you that, Lord, we are taking up our cross. Yeah, Amen.